welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I am your host, Leah Pilkonis. It's no secret that one of the construction industry's top concerns is addressing workforce shortages. And as important as recruiting new talent to the industry is, none of it matters if the industry can't retain its workers. And that is why AGC of America nationalized the Culture of Care program in 2020, which was first established by the AGC of Washington chapter. But there's more work to be done. During AGC's recent National and Chapter Leadership Conference, the association focused on helping industry leaders better understand their critical role around issues of diversity and inclusion. Part of the leadership development program was aimed at helping the construction industry grow the courage to engage more fully in the often difficult but necessary conversations inherent in navigating diversity and inclusion topics. We have three special guests on today's episode. Mark Havens talks about his organization, White Men as Full Diversity Partners. My AGC colleague, Bryn Heineke, shares what AGC is doing with this Culture of Care program. And we also talk with President and CEO of Clark Construction Company, Sam Clark, on how he learned the skills needed to build strong relationships, navigate difficult conversations, and become an ally. Mark, thanks so much for being here today on Constructor Cast, so we can continue the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, about, I'd say, 25 years ago, Bill Proudman, the, the founder, and Michael Welp is also a co-founder, they were working on in inclusion and diversity 25 years ago. They started, and so did many companies. This is not new. But what they noticed was... Uh, there was an assumption that you know people of color, women, uh, members from the LGBTQ community would would kind of lead the diversity effort, the DNI. So if you went to a company, it was more likely that the DNI group or whoever the drivers were were underrepresented groups were driving the effort. And of course, Bill noticed that not a lot of white men were engaged. A lot of times, and you know, social scientists would say dominant and non-dominant groups, and so we call them insiders and outsiders. And, and in this effort to drive diversity and inclusion, why wouldn't the dominant group, at least in the U.S., white men, be engaged in this conversation? when they held, you know, a lot of the influence and power to get things done. So not calling them out, right, as the problem, but calling them in to the discussion made a lot of sense to him, and he stuck with it. So our company is known as kind of having a a great process for engaging white men, white men leaders, into the work without shame and blame or finger pointing or kind of the guilt that might be associated with that. And so here in the U.S., um, you've obviously found that engaging white male business leaders has been really critical to just any company's inclusion efforts. Um, Any other reasons why? White men, at least in Fortune 500 companies, you know, are, I think there's only 31% of us in the U.S. who are over 18 are you know employed in corporations and we hold about i think 76% of the leadership positions 
So meaning we can make decisions around budgets, uh, processes, policies. So it seems like you're not going to get a lot done unless white men are part of the discussion, part of the movement, part of the examining the cultures yeah, that are created. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, and with that in mind, and just recognizing that I think the business case has definitely been made time and time again that diverse teams are more innovative, more productive, um, ultimately get better results. Uh, why aren't more companies focusing on making these shifts? So, I think. Again, when you ask the dominant group, wherever they are, when you say examine, it can feel like, you know, in the past we, we might have, well, we did. I, I was part of, of some of the DNI work in the early 90s. There was some blaming, you know, you've created a culture that penalizes other people that aren't like you. So the only reaction can be defensiveness, mm -hmm. right? So when we be begin to examine the culture from a standpoint of good or bad versus let's examine the culture. A homogenous group kind of created it. So let's examine it to see, given that the workforce has changed, where are some areas that I might not be aware of that, that are excluding people? Right? So if there's no women in the room when we're making travel policy, um, wow, we might create some things I didn't think of. Like I never thought of, you might plan your travel. And again, I'm not talking about all women, but some women have told me, executives, that they're not going to fly into Orlando at 11 o'clock at night, jump in an Uber and come to the hotel. And that might be the cheapest flight if the policy is travel cheaply. Mm -hmm. And so I've had uh, female executives tell me, I just pay for the extra on my own. I don't, I don't think I can change the policy, but that's, you know, I'll pay an extra $200 out of my own pocket to get there at 5 o'clock so I feel more comfortable. So, so if we have everybody in the room to examine the culture, um, then, then, you know, we're going to get these ahas. Uh, so I think... I think we do a good job of being able to create that without the, sh the shame and blame. Well, and in general, I think the topic can bring up a lot of fear and anxiety for people, which you've kind of you know, already alluded to. And your organization has clearly had some really great success in engaging white men in these conversations. Um, what do you think is the key to that success to get the conversations going? Yeah, so I think one brilliant approach, you know, Bill had 25 years ago was, you know, this is a leadership, you know, challenge. And so he started really looking at, him and Michael really started looking at leaders. What do leaders do that do are successful leading inclusively? Because if you look at, I think last year, a couple thousand books on, on leadership and many comp, leadership competency models in, in companies don't even have leader, uh, inclusive leadership in there. And it's really hard. So if you think of getting results and building a team, that's hard. Getting results and building a diverse team, that's hard. And so, so I think Bill being able to define what are those behaviors and get them out there and talk about it as a leadership issue versus maybe subbing it out to DNI or HR. Mm -hmm. um, certainly everybody has a place, but really some of those um, 
leadership skills coming from a this is not social you know let's you know let's come from you know things like courage you know courage to be where you're at mm -hmm. you know courage to have uncomfortable conversations managing difficult conversations um, that that has really helped take away a lot of the noise around politics or or you know uh, some of the other things that impact us yeah. I've heard you talk about the importance of white men becoming allies. What do you what do you mean by that? Um, is is becoming an ally? Do you see that as an important first step? And and maybe if you could share an example um, of how a, a white man or a woman, for that matter, has has become an ally. Yeah. So I think there's a step before that, and that's you know again when we approach this, it's are people willing to examine. What does it mean to be, for example, what does it mean to be white in the construction industry? I've never had to think about that mm -hmm. if I'm in construction because the water, I swim in that water and people look like me, the leaders look like me, um, I see where I have a, uh, I see where I belong because there's so many role models there, there's people to mentor me. So if I can examine that, and then I can examine what does it mean to be male or what does it mean to be heterosexual. That's where the discomfort can come in, but it's, it's important to do that first because then it's that part of how do I then partner differently with women or people of color or LGBTQ without giving up my values and beliefs. So the first step is, is, am I willing to examine that? Mm -hmm. Because traditionally, a woman going into construction will examine what, what's it going to mean to me as a woman to be in that industry. They'll consciously have to. Mm -hmm. They don't get to choose. Right, because, you yeah. will examine it. You will, if you're a person of color, you'll examine, okay, what is it going to mean to me if I'm a Latina? And, and I want to work in the construction industry. And I'll look at the culture. I'll start examining it to see where I fit in and what behaviors I want to do. And so I think part of bringing white men into the conversation, again, not bringing us in to lead or take over, because our tendency might be to the, with that, it's how do I walk side by side through this process? How do I mentor? You know, how do I give people the, the resources, you know, um, to support, you know, mm -hmm. not to fix, but just sit at the table and have the discussions, not as a leader, not as an uh, unengaged follower, but with you to create that culture. Okay, so you're walking through what we've discussed so far, like your company is really presenting this as a leadership opportunity, but suggesting that a key and crucial first step is to really look at this from everyone's viewpoint to figure out, you know, ask your, yourself the questions, um, what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. Right. Empathy is a huge part, right? And to be able to hear. And to and educate be, yourself. To be curious. But first, first, you know, I have to examine that maybe some people are having a different experience than I am. Maybe they walk through the, the construction world a little mm -hmm. different than I do. Maybe they're using a lot. Maybe the actual job in construction is not hard. Mm -hmm. It's what they have to do to get to the job site, 
or get to the desk, their desk to do their work. Maybe there's a lot of energy that I'm not seeing. So can I sit in a room and both have my story? If I worked hard, you know, it doesn't erase that. The privilege piece or the advantage piece is not something to be ashamed of. It's maybe I have more energy, maybe I have some energy that I can use to to advocate, to support, to mentor, to Mm -hmm. coach. Um, And I can maybe, you know, use it honorably in certain situations. And what would you say are some of the other biggest impacts um, on culture, just culture within an organization generally? Because I'm thinking, if I'm listening to this and I I really want to cultivate the kind of cultural change that we're talking about, I want to grow my business, I want to develop my workforce. Um, what are some of the key areas that really impact culture that I need to be aware of? Like you, you talked about putting yourself in, in the shoes of others. What would be some other things that you have to just go into this with your eyes wide open? Well, I think we, you know, we can't necessarily add to or make the culture better without including more stakeholders who, who don't look like us. Mm-hmm. Right? There's just no doubt. So we get surprised. If we hold a meeting and we don't have religious diversity in our leadership team and we hold this event on Yom Kippur, I'm just giving an example. I'm not saying you did that. Mm-hmm. Wow, we didn't have anybody who's Jewish. So we get surprised. Like, oh, I didn't think of that. You know, I wasn't aware of that. Um, you know, so if we don't, if we don't have uh, that input and we're not curious, about culture. And again, this is not about, we're never going to change, you know, the U.S. business culture runs on the Christian calendar. We're never going to change that, nor should we. But I do need to be aware as a leader of a company with that culture that maybe I've hired or I have subcontractors who are not Christian. So I need to pay attention, you know, can I work with someone who maybe would ordinarily have to take a day off to celebrate their time and and lose money? Or can I say, can I work with them on making it all happen so they can, uh, you know, pray the way they want, but also work here? Part of that is just being able to go, to be able to ask the question, do you feel like an insider Mm -hmm. or an outsider? If I can start there, those are wonderful conversations because as many people as I talk to, they're going to have different answers to that. Knowing that we're not going to completely throw out our culture, it's, it's impossible. But we might add to it. As you know, many firms in the construction industry are small family-owned businesses, and they don't necessarily have uh, the resources to hire a, a full-time person uh, to focus on D&I efforts. What do you say to those firms about the importance of inclusion in their company's long-term success? And Mm -hmm. what would you say or or suggest as some steps to take? Well, of of course, I'm going to say, you know, visit our website, Mm -hmm. you know, because our open enrollment classes are perfect. That's how Sam Clark got started, you know, who's in Lansing. And the nice thing about open enrollment is they go through a a three-day lab and they're with other people from other companies. So they get to hear what other people are doing and they get allies as leaders going, boy, how did did you get started on this? 
if that's not affordable. This culture of care program you have is fantastic. I went in there, I looked. It's, it's, there's plenty of tools to get started. If you just simply go there and start with the support of your organization, there's a start and having the courage to do it. Is there um, anything else that you want to mention, though, as far, and we're going to talk a little bit about EGC's culture of care, mm -hmm. but uh, as far as ways that people can explore this topic more, um, anything else that you would recommend? So we can start small. You know, we can start um, by being curious. I, I've never had a woman or person of color tell me, I don't want to teach you a damn thing. I'm tired. I'm sick of it. But they do give me advice to, you know, do your own homework. I learn a lot from white men. We're a diverse group. The assumption is we're not diverse, but we know a lot collectively. And so when I, when I do the work, I Google stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm working on learning stuff about pronouns right now. When I do my work, then I find people are happy to share their experience with me. Mark, thanks so much for your time and the knowledge that you shared with us today. It was great being with you. Um, speaking of AGC's culture of care, uh, my colleague, Bryn Hunnicke, um, who's the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at AGC of America, um, is, is with us as well. And uh, Bryn, welcome to the conversation. Thank you for having me. Bryn, I wanted to give you just a minute to uh, share a little update on culture of care and um, let people know what resources are available because um, we've, we've mentioned um, that it's a, a great place to start. Um, so can you give us an update on that program? Absolutely, I'd be happy to. And thank you so much, Leah, for having me. We currently have about 600 companies that have taken the culture of care pledge. Uh, for those listeners who might not know what culture of care is, since we've talked a bit about it now, um, Culture of Care is a pledge that we're asking construction firms to take, committing to building safe, welcoming, and inclusive workplaces. In June, we launched our newest Culture of Care resource, and it's probably the resource that I'm most excited about for companies, and it is our diversity and inclusion assessment. This tool allows companies to evaluate their current practices, programs, and policies as they relate to diversity and inclusion, and identify areas for continued um, improvement. The really great thing about this tool is that it can be used by any company, no matter how new or old your diversity and inclusion strategies are or how large your company, company is. You know, Leah, I know you and Mark talked a little bit about smaller companies and resources um, available to small companies who might not have you know, full-time uh, staff dedicated to diversity and inclusion. So we hope that this tool is a way for companies to be able to kind of assess themselves and, and utilize it as a way to grow and enhance their diversity and inclusion strategies. It's a really great first step for companies that haven't yet implemented any sort of uh, DNI strategy because it gives companies an established baseline to evaluate the success of future efforts. And it's also a really great tool for companies that have already implemented DNI um, because it provides some industry-wide benchmarks and recommendations to continue building upon uh, those existing strategies that a company might already have in place. So no matter where you are kind of on your diversity and inclusion journey, it's a really great tool to help you progress. 
So the DNI assessment, just to give a little background about what it does, um, it evaluates companies in four key areas. And those areas are workplace and includes questions related to uh, companies' structure, decision-making authority, and stated commitment to uh, diversity and inclusion. Workforce, which includes questions related to employee education and training opportunities, benefits that are offered for employees, and recruiting, hiring, and promoting practices within a company. Vendor, which includes questions related to a company's practices in selecting suppliers and subcontractors, particularly diverse businesses. And then the last one is community, which includes questions related to a company's involvement in the communities where they're working and building projects. So we developed Culture of Care and the resources that are on the website in a way that we hope will allow companies like I said, regardless of size or staff support to be able to implement. Um, we're constantly developing additional resources to support the companies that have taken the pledge. And we're really excited about some of the resources that we have in development and will be releasing over the next year. So if your company hasn't taken the pledge yet, it's a really good time to do so and to begin taking advantage of some of the existing resources that already are part of Culture of Care like the DNI assessment. We also have a number of toolbox talks to use on job sites, uh, sample workplace policies and HR practice, uh, best practices and, and more resources. So to learn more about Culture of Care and to take the Culture of Care pledge, visit the Culture of Care website, which is uh, buildculture.org. And all of the resources that I talked about can be found on the Make an Impact tab, which is located in the top menu of the homepage. So I hope you'll check it out. And if you haven't yet taken the pledge, that your company will do so. Bryn, I want to keep you on the line while we bring in our next guest, Sam Clark, who is the president and CEO of one of the companies that has taken the Culture of Care pledge. Yeah, I have been fortunate to get to know Sam in his role as a member of the AGC of America Diversity and Inclusion Steering Committee. Sam has really been a leader in building an inclusive culture within his company, Clark Construction, which is based in Lansing, Michigan. So I'm really excited to have Sam join us today and be able to share his journey. So Sam, welcome, and can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Bryn. Um, my name's Sam Clark, and I'm uh, um, the president and CEO of Clark Construction, which is based in Lansing. My grandfather started our company 75 years ago, and so I'm a third generation leader in our business. I grew up in a small town just outside of Lansing that couldn't be less diverse. So for me to be part of this panel is a and, and on this podcast, it was highly unlikely several years ago, um, but has become a subject that I'm very passionate about uh, because there's so much opportunity in, you know, to, to make things right and, and also to improve our businesses and communities and, and, and generally our life. Um, I live in East Lansing and um, worked at Clark Construction. I've been in the construction industry for almost 30 years and I've held just about every role in our company and really thoroughly enjoyed the ride and, and really enjoyed construction overall. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Sam. We're really glad to have you. 
So we just had an interesting and really informative conversation with Mark Havens of WMFDP about building inclusive cultures within the construction industry. I know, Sam, that you uh, participated in one of their workshops a number of years ago, which was a starting point for your diversity and inclusion journey. Can you share with us how you got started down that path? Well, there was a time when our our culture wasn't so great at Clark Construction and I became aware of some issues we were having within the company and it's probably some things a lot of people sense in their company you know there's a little friction maybe from a diversity and uh, standpoint and I had a conversation with a woman in our company about it and she said you know there's something there Sam but you really can't do anything about it it's like it is in just about any company you would go to and um, it didn't really sit well with me, and I was, um, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I know now that she just didn't want to spend the time or energy to try to explain something to me that I was just wasn't going to get. So I was out in California for a conference, and I decided to stop, uh, go out early, and spend a couple days with some family out there. My cousin, uh, his name's Mike Fermani, and he'll probably listen to this. So. <clears throat> want to sh throw a shout out to him. Um, he works for Lockheed Martin and I was explaining this conversation to him and some of the things I was observing and he said, oh, that's white male culture. And I said, white male what? And he went on to explain to me that Lockheed Martin sent him to this uh, 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 lab and, uh, and he came back a changed person. And, and I said, it sounds like a bit of a punishment. <laughs> and he said, well, that's the way I felt. I, fe I felt like I was a progressive person, that I understood these issues. I didn't need any additional diversity training, but I was wrong. So I went back to my office, uh, got a team together. We got on the phone with, uh, with Bill Proudman and uh, walked through what, what they do at White Men as Full Diversity Partners, and we signed up for a, a learning lab, the White Man's Caucus, which is kind of a funny name. Uh, but we went to that program and uh, it was life-changing, it truly was. Um, and it, and it's, it's critical for white men to have this kind of in-depth training because we can get exposed to all kinds of diversity issues, awareness types of things. But until you understand the dominant culture and, you know, and, and how we think, the lens we see the world through, it's hard to see those issues, and and, uh, and I and I get now how it's hard for other people to see that we can't see it, but it's a subconscious issue, and it's something we're brought up with. So the the second day there, we spent most of the day talking about how our culture impacts women, and we got we came out of that that uh, first day, and our, my VP of operations said, "Do you think women hate us?" <laughs> and I, and I kind of laughed and I said, well, some probably do, but most of them just kind of accept that we're knuckleheads and we just can't get this through our heads. But now we have this information and it's, it's powerful. And then we spent the next period talking about how it affects people of color and then uh, the LGBTQ community. And it was, it was truly eye-opening and I was uh, very energized uh, by, to take it back to our company and, and utilize the things that I had learned there. Thank you for sharing that really personal story and, and just expressing how powerful and kind of eye-opening that was for you. I'm interested then how you took what you learned at the workshop and brought it back to your company. Well, it, it was difficult at first. And uh, 
as you might imagine. Um, we had a lot of problems in our company, and people were wondering, other white guys were wondering, what's the business case for this? And, you know, we have, a, we should be doing it, but there's all these other things we should pay attention to. And people didn't understand why, why people needed to be treated different or we needed to, um, you know, why, don't, why doesn't everybody just act like us? And from what I was aware of from this training, I could see the, the, the fault in that. But it took, we got together, we got a committee together, and it didn't do so great until I got some more allies on board. We had an annual meeting, and which we do every year, and one that the, the first year coming back from the caucus, I felt that it was important to talk about it. So I basically asked our company to have an open mind and, and, a, and a heartfelt speech that uh, I think was a catalyst to get this ball rolling. Cause it's hard to argue with, with having an open mind and caring about people and, and paying attention to, you know, differences in people. And we carried that theme through the year. We sent some more executives to the caucus. And as I was coaching some of them and having conversations about issues they were having with conversations with, you know, with women or minorities, and they started to see the value. And then they went to the caucus and uh, one of the executives said, I thought I understood your vision and now I get it. He said, it's, it, it's, I only got about 10% of it. And we were looking at hiring a, a, a really high performing uh, woman that was interested in our culture and company. And he's like, there's no question we have to hire this person. And so we brought her on and, and uh, more talent has come to us as, as we moved along the, the road. And then when these guys came back and showed tremendous change in understanding and they they all they both said that uh, you know I, I can't believe i didn't see all these things before so now when we get our dei community together there was um all of the executive leadership is engaged in this and they could see that it was authentic so then the information started to come and, and we started to have some really good dialogue we put some strategies together and deployed those and uh, it, the energy started to get there, and, um, uh, and, and we've got a long ways to go. I mean, we were really just getting started, but uh, the inclusive environment is, is really good, and uh, the communication and the trust is excellent. And it sounds like you continue to grow with your journey as you shared, and what started with you and, and spread to other leadership is now working its way through the whole company. Brent, I know you've got some questions for Sam. Yeah, Sam, you know, you started down, you know, this path even before AGC created uh, our Culture of Care program, but Clark Construction, you know, took the Culture of Care pledge really early on, I think back in May of 2020, just shortly after we launched Culture of Care, and I'm wondering how Culture of Care and the resources that we've tried to provide through Culture of Care have enhanced or supported the work that you had already started at Clark uh, and how it's continued to grow through that program. Well, if I can back up for a minute and talk about our, our, our mission statement and our values that have been in place now for about four years. So our mission is we build on a foundation of trust. And when we looked at what was working and what wasn't working in our company and different teams, it all boiled down to trust. And so we changed our mission statement and our values are simply the four pillars of trust. Competency, good, very good at what you do. Reliability, following through on your commitments. Sincerity, meaning 
what you say and our most important value, care, caring about people. So this has been ingrained in our company and it's not something we just say, it's something we live. So when the culture of care came out, uh, boy, I wish we'd have had it about four, four years ago because there's some great resources in there, some toolbox talks, some conversation pieces, uh, you know, training and, and uh, it, it's really, um, uh, a great resource and, and every time I look at it I'm amazed at the, the kind of tools that are in there and uh, I think the key to you know really utilizing those materials is having executive leadership have a genuine understanding and care for inclusion. So you've seen some really fantastic improvements I know that you've shared with me previously uh, in your company culture as a direct result of your diversity and inclusion efforts. I know that you you know, always talk about how much better it's made your company, right? And, and you've uh, grown your business in a really positive way from an employee engagement, productivity, and, and company culture standpoint. Um, I would love for you to be able to share with all of our listeners some of those results and those really positive improvements that you've seen in your company um, as a direct result of your focus on culture and diversity and inclusion? As, as part of the uh, DEI committee, we decided that we were going to engage in the Crane School Places to Work survey. It's a publication that's regionally around the country. They, they send out a survey and it gives you a lot of good information about how you're doing. And our, our uh, first survey came back with a 99% uh, engagement score. There were three questions that everybody in the company answered yes to. They were, I am proud of, to work for this company. I would recommend this company's pro uh, products or services to a friend. And I'm very satisfied with this employer. And w among women and African-Americans, they answered yes to every single question. It was 151 people. Um, those are extraordinary numbers, but they're just they're numbers alone. When you have high engagement scores like that, people are feeling pretty good about the company. Um, we were able, through this inclusive environment, we were able to get diverse people to share what they know. And one of the, the powerful things that I think gets overlooked is, um, you know, when, when women are engaged in, in leadership, they think more about how things are affecting people. And so as we were dealing with COVID and, and other management issues um, to really understand how it affects people in our business um, in ways we probably couldn't have known ourselves, uh, we got that feedback and we were able to act on it. So, so the engagement scores were really good and that led to us growing our business. We, we grew by two and a half times over a three year period from 200 million to 500 million. Um, our bottom line profits uh, went up by two and a half, uh, uh, two and a half times uh, the best performance we've ever had after adjusting for inflation. Um, we have an inclusive environment where people feel welcome when they walk in the door here. In the past, um, we were kind of clicky, and, and so new people would land here, and it, it, it wasn't an easy landing spot. Now it's a, it's a very welcoming place to be. Um, We've grown against our competition here in Michigan. We're now the fourth largest contractor in the state, which wasn't what we set out to do, um, but that's what happened. And we're also, uh, uh, we've 
been around the 350 mark on the ENR 400, and this past year we were 198. So the 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 business performance is it's hard for people to make that tie, but when we all know that when engagement scores are high, business performance is, is better, customer satisfaction is better. Our satisfaction scores coming back at 96% are also off the charts, and I think that's what's feeding uh, the success. And our, our, um, our backlog uh, was at its highest point before the pandemic, and then it tailed off, but now it's revved back up, and now it's significantly higher than it's ever been. Uh, so the when I came back from the caucus, I knew that we had something to work on here that was going to impact performance. I, what, what I saw was, you know, these hurdles that we put in front of women and minorities that they had to negotiate and what energy that takes um, to negotiate those things. And we can't eliminate all of them, but we've been able to take a bunch of them out and then it has improved engagement. It has improved productivity. The energy that's that's there for the business now that wasn't wasted dealing with these other things is significant. Those engagement scores are amazing and I want to congratulate you um, on, on being able to achieve a culture where your employees really feel engaged uh, and committed to your company. You know, one of the things when we created the business case for diversity and inclusion report a few years ago, um, not only did we talk about uh, engagement and productivity, but we also talked about employee retention and how there's a direct correlation, right, between happy, engaged, productive employees and them wanting to stay and be a part of your company. Uh, and, and with that, if they're not and they leave, what those costs are associated for a company having to... Uh, for a company having to uh, pay to bring somebody in, hire them, onboard them, uh, and, and get them up to speed. Have you seen results in your uh, employee retention rates as a result of those engagement scores and seeing that those high, high levels of engagement? We had a 10% turnover rate prior to us engaging in this. And today it's 2%. The last three years has been 2%. And, and as I mentioned, with the growth, we also, one thing I failed to mention is, you know, when you grow fast, people worry that, well, oh, you're growing too fast. And, and, and that's a concern we had too. But the, the input that we had from our management team helped us to make the moves we needed to make to manage that risk. And we have a, a, a sheet we call our legal list. So it's insurance issues and things that, that happen. And that list is about a quarter of the size that it was when we were half the size we are today. So not only are we retaining high quality people, but that engagement is keeping us out of trouble. Definitely amazing results, Sam. We all know that, uh, well, all of us on this, on this discussion anyway, know that construction industry is made up mostly of small businesses and who, who don't have a dedicated staff typically for diversity and inclusion efforts. Sam, what, what advice would you give a company, a company leader, um, who's really unsure of where where to start? I would start with this white uh, white men as full diversity partners. Uh, uh, I would start there with the, the, the caucus. The leader of the company or the organization needs to understand uh, and genuinely understand and care about where this is headed and. Uh, 
uh, once you and so the investment there is it's I mean it's about seven or eight thousand dollars and so and it's three and a half days and people you know they look at that and say well I'm not sure it's worth it or I can't afford it and I say you can't afford not to do it because the opportunity is so significant um, the Harvard Business Review had a, an article recently that said inclusive leadership no longer just a nice thing to have companies with inclusive leaders outperform other companies by 20%. And if you just take 20% of your performance against that small investment, it's, it's a no-brainer. In fact, one of my executives said if we hadn't paid for him to go, knowing what he knew, knows now that he got out of it, he would have paid himself. Um, so I would start there. And having a, having a diversity person on your staff is a, definitely a nice thing to have. And, we haven't had that. We've had our executive team getting this, this education. Uh, we're considering, do we need that? And we, we probably will make that uh, addition now at the size we are, but it's not required. Um, when you have a genuine understanding of these issues, other people are gonna recognize it and you will attract that talent. Yeah, and Sam, earlier on, and to go along with this point, you know, you mentioned the need to find allies within your company to support this work and move your company culture forward. Uh, how, I mean, I, I know that you sent a number of your staff through that workshop to build allies within your, you know, company already, but how did you go about finding additional allies and those allies within your company to really support this work and help maintain uh, or establish even up front uh, the expectation around inclusion, both in the office, but also on those job sites where, you know, you may not necessarily be there day in and day out? Well, we have a lot of other training resources for d diversity, equity, and inclusion. And frankly, I think when, when men see those things, it's, they get this feeling like, oh, that was for somebody else. So they're necessary and they're, they're helpful, but they're not going to change the hearts and minds of people. Um, it, it, it is, so, so some of those areas within our company, um, I know need some work. Um, so our, our executive team has been through, we have one more, two more people that need to go through it. And then we have another 18 people that are at a middle management level that we're gonna send through it. We were gonna do it this fall, but it, to us it's a critical that they're present in person and with COVID numbers in Michigan, we decided to push that off. So we're gonna make that investment every year until all the men in our company have this the, this uh, awareness um, because it's a, it's a benefit to their lives. They don't know it yet, uh, enriching their lives, but also developing them as leaders and also to, to create this culture. Without it, um, and I think it's hard for people who aren't white men to understand because it's so obvious uh, that, 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 that there's these problems out there, um, but that's what it takes for people to really fully understand it or to even have their eyes open to, to, to learn, because it's still a learning process for me. Well, Sam, we can't thank you enough for sharing your very inspiring story and uh, for your incredible leadership. And Brent, I also want to thank you for your leadership uh, within AGC of America and, and all that you're doing, all the work that you're doing. So it's been uh, really great hearing from, from both of you. Thank you. I appreciate being part of this. I want to thank everyone out there for listening. 
We appreciate you listening. And this has been another episode of AGC's Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app, or you can stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org/constructorcast. Thank you.